This is Lauren Alexander, and you're listening to the Groove Lab Podcast. Hey, thank you so much for being here. This podcast is all about the people who make up the music industry. Today, I've got Sean Giovanni, record producer, audio engineer, project manager, educator, and the owner of The Record Shop, a recording studio and multimedia production company in Nashville, Tennessee. He has worked with artists like John Legend, Juicy J, Big and Rich, Tim McGraw, and The Wallflowers, just to name a few. And I'm so excited to talk to him. So let's get him on the phone. Lauren? Hey. Can you hear me now? I can. How's it going? I am great. How are good. you? I'm good. Um, so do you go by Sean or Giovanni or both? Um, both. It depends on <laughs> uh, who's talking to me. Okay. Most, people, uh, most people end up calling me Gio or Gio. Giovanni. Okay. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. I just, just wonder. It sort of like naturally happens that way. <laughs> so I got in the habit of introducing myself that way. That's um, funny. Not many people call me Sean. But sometimes okay. some, some people like to be rebels and then they, they call me Sean. <laughs> Um, well, thank you so much for agreeing to do this podcast. I've been really looking forward to having you on. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Of course. So, um, are you ready to get started? Um, I am. Okay. Well, let's just start with maybe could you give like a brief introduction of um who you are and what you do? I'm Sean Giovanni. I'm a sonic storyteller and the owner of the Record Shop Recording Studio that's based in Nashville, Tennessee. Awesome. So, um, you describe yourself as a sonic storyteller. What, what does that mean? My process is really based on trying to figure out how to tell an artist's story through the sounds and through the arrangement that I create within a record. I really love songs that take people on a journey or put them in a specific experience uh, that feels uh, relatable, like they can really understand the characters and what you know, and, and and be there. And I feel like there's a deeper level of connection that comes with uh, music and, and production that kind of leads that way. The concept of that idea, um, the concept of that idea, uh, I think stemmed from when I was younger and when I was in grade school. Um, we had music class, and it was it was it wasn't like an elective or something like extra like after school thing. It was part of our education, which was super cool that that still existed in my community when I was a kid. And I remember the this series of uh, lessons that we had about orchestral instruments and how they were used to either like play a character or to set a scene um, or to mimic a certain sound. And the orchestra composer um, would have an idea in mind about the sort of the, the scene or the, the visual that they would want the listener um, to, to feel, you know, before we had TV and, and film and all that. And I really thought that that was super cool and intriguing, like how they could use sound to take you to a certain place in your imagination. And I, I thought that just gives you endless abilities to uh, add additional emotion around the sounds outside of just the, the lyric and the, and the melody. The reason that I came up with that term was because I was going through this process of really trying to figure out how to uh, network better. And uh, I don't really love the word network, so I hesitate, but to build relationships better in like a social environment. 
And uh, when I moved to town, I didn't know when I moved to Nashville, I didn't know anyone and um, was just getting my career started. And the, the thing you got to do is that, that everybody tells you is get out and network and, you know, meet new people. And so I find myself in these scenarios, people say, well, what do you do? And so for someone like me, the common response is I'm a producer or engineer, um, that sort of thing. But in, when you're in a town like Nashville, like everybody does that, you know? Right. So um, I think I might've read somewhere, had this idea of chasing down this, this idea of how to um, differentiate myself and be able to clearly articulate my approach and like who I am as a producer instead of just like the technical term of, of what I am. And it really leads into like the idea of storytelling, you know, as a whole. So I started to think about like, what is unique about my production process? How do I approach uh, working with an artist and what is really like my main objective in doing that? And, and it's really telling a story through sound. And so I came up with that um, term uh, and I found it to be a great way to be able to better articulate what I do than just a producer or an engineer. For sure. I love that. It definitely like sparks a little bit of interest when you, when you read it or when you say it, I, it's, it's very, um, it's very interesting. And I think that's a pretty cool mindset to have because as a writer, I mean, I'm coming at it from my side, wanting to tell the story and have the visuals and um, putting both of those together. That's, that's a very cool um, way to think about it. Thank you. Yeah, it's been really helpful. And once I started doing that, I, I, I started sharing that idea and exercise with artists that I work with, uh, specifically artists that are newer to the industry that are really building their, their, their brand and, and starting to figure out who they are artistically. And I have this whole like process that I try to take them through to discover what it is that is that is uniquely special about their creativity and their art and how could they describe what they do in a really you know clear and concise way when uh when they meet someone new or when they're being interviewed or or talking about that because i, I feel like uh, one of the biggest challenges artists have when they're when they're trying to describe that is like figuring out the words you know yeah. uh they don't really want to be classified to one genre especially these days like people are so diverse in their styles and influences so they, um, they'll just sort of ramble for a while on, and that's what I used to do. I, I used to ramble on all the things that I do. I'm a producer and engineer and programmer and songwriter and mixer and, you know, and nobody wants to hear all that, but right. I can, if you can combine it all down into what really makes you, you and, and sets you apart. Um, and then it, it, it leads to more like leading questions and maybe a little bit more of an interesting conversation that you would have with, with somebody new. And I, I find it to be a really helpful thing for artists to kind of explore that idea as well. That's very cool. And you are so right. I am guilty of doing that exact same thing. <laughs> right. Well, um, how did you get started? How are you a musician? Or what 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 has been your journey? When I was I think about like ten years old, uh, my dad bought me a guitar and I took some guitar lessons for a while. And I was all right at playing guitar and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed learning learning music and um I um that was like kind of when I first started playing instruments earlier than that, I started uh, my first experience in writing a song was for a uh, arts competition when I was in first grade. And we had to write a song about a uh, specific subject. I think it was like how to make the world a better place or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I wrote, uh, I wrote a, um, a, like a don't do drugs rap song. <laughs> and I had this little, uh, this little like microphone machine that had a like a beat box thing on it. So you press the button and it plays the beat. And I wrote these lyrics and like rap to it and it records it on a little like cassette tape. 
Um, and, uh, and so I turned it in and I won the contest. It was crazy. So I got to um, get up in front of the whole school and they gave me this, this little tiny trophy. It still, it sits in my the lounge in my studio. It was the first award I ever got for Aww. music. And, um, and it was a really great, um, great feeling to be like, I guess, recognized for something that like you created that came out of, you know, just a, just an idea. Um, but I really just like it, uh, participated in it for fun. Um, but I found a lot of, you know, passion through that. But at that point I hadn't really realized yet that I wanted to, have a career in music i think that started to happen later on when i started learning guitar uh and i was all right but I, but my buddies are better than me and i'm like a super perfectionist with things and i got a little frustrated with my progress as a guitar player and then i think when i was about 12 i saw this guy named dj scribble and he was he's a, he's a dj that was um on mtv a lot and uh, i think one um spring they had they had M mtv spring break and so they would just broadcast like these crazy parties and you know cancun and stuff on on mtv and dj scribbles there and, and um and he's scratching records and and playing songs and the whole crowd's going nuts and i was like that looks like a lot of fun so that summer i saved up some money cutting lawns around the neighborhood and i bought a couple turntables and a mixer um and uh and i started learning how the art of turntablism from like a um traditional like record scratching like hip-hop art of turntablism mm -hmm. and uh, learned how to scratch records and, and match beats and to cut breaks out of out of tracks to turn it into uh to a beat that somebody could rap over um and i had a lot of fun doing that and and then i would just sit in my room for hours just playing a bunch of my dad's old records and i would uh they they drive me down to the record store and i'd uh pick up like some new singles and stuff and i, I would basically just dj to nobody in my room oh. and uh and that was a lot of fun it got me to really like explore sounds and uh how the how how certain songs felt and how different songs could be mixed together in, in a unique way and um so i really loved doing that and then um i think probably about a year later i um saved up some more dough and, and got a four track cassette recorder and that was when i first started recording things so i would just record my mixes as a as a dj um and uh and then i had some friends that were that were still plugging away at guitar and starting to write some songs and uh, so I had all this little, you know, makeshift recording studio. I'd moved it out of my bedroom into my parents' basement, kind of took over the, <laughs> the basement with a little bit of equipment that I had. And so after school, my buddies would come over and I would record them and, and um, we'd write songs together. And, uh, and that was uh, a lot of fun. I think around that time was when it really solidified that um, uh, music career was like was the thing that that was going to happen. And um, I've also played hockey. So like it was either I was going to play in the NHL or I was going to be a record producer. <laughs> And uh, and it ended up ended up being uh, being music. So that kind of just stuck with me through high school. And then um, when I was in high school, I started recording. Um, uh, I started taking the the recordings that I was doing on this cassette recorder. And uh, one of my buddy's dads worked at a, a post production studio that did like car commercials and stuff. And it was right around the street from my parents' house. So I'd ride my bike over there and um, give them these cassette tapes, and they would burn them onto CDs. And they so they'd duplicate a bunch of CDs for me. And then I would sell them at school, which I don't know that I was like really allowed to do. But um, so I basically like started my own little like record label and uh, and was uh, and was getting um, uh, the uh, the cute girls in the in the neighborhood to go around and sell the CDs for oh me and stuff to, to people. And, uh, and so, yeah, and, and uh, it was so much fun um, and, and a really great lesson in like music and business and collaborating with artists and stuff. And, um, and, uh, and it was it was all for fun. I re it really wasn't like I wasn't at that point thinking that like me going around and, and selling, you know, a few hundred CDs around the town was going to, um, you know, turn into anything uh, crazy. Uh, but it was a really great experience, a lot of fun and just sort of like an expression, just wanting to get the music that I was creating out to people 
to enjoy. Um, and so I think that further solidified this belief that like, all right, I can, this is a, this can be a business. Like I, I was at a point where I was actually like making money from the stuff that I was creating. Uh, and, and I saw, I, I guess this, like, this is a real thing. It's not just something that you see these superstars on TV and they were just like appeared that way that, uh, that you can, you can be in the music business. So I started learning more about that. And, and what I gravitated towards was producing and engineering. I really liked the idea of chasing down sounds and, uh, building arrangements and, uh, and working in that environment and just being able to create something that would last forever. So when I got out of high school, um, my parents were pretty adamant about me going to tr traditional like college path and stuff. And I was pretty adamant about absolutely not doing that <laughs> because it was going to slow down my ability to start getting into the music industry. Um, so we made uh, a compromise and I went to a small trade school in Minneapolis uh, that, and got a, a associate's degree in audio engineering and production. And a um, year and a half later, I um, decided that Nashville was the place that I wanted to start my career. So uh, I packed up my truck and, uh, and moved to Nashville. And that was kind of the, the start of how I got rolling with things in a nice. professional way. Nice. That's amazing. Um, how long have you been in Nashville? I've been in Nashville now for 14 years. Wow. So um, I know you're involved with um, the record shop, but I'd also, I, I read that you're involved with something called uh, Mind Map. I would love to yes. hear more about that. Yeah, so uh, MindMap is a program that I created uh, about a year ago with a friend of mine named Ricky Mendez, who is a, a speaker and a business consultant, um, travels around and, and uh, helps build sales teams and, and empowers folks and stuff. And um, he's got an incredible mind and a really great spirit and mindset. Um, I'm very much into mindset as well, and uh, I've found it to be a really powerful um, catalyst for building fulfillment in my career, but also just in life in general. And he was speaking at a uh, record label for some of the executives there. And one of the artists that was signed to that label I was working with, and he invited me to come and hang because he knew I'd love the topic and conversation and stuff. And I really liked um, Ricky's approach to things. And we started talking afterwards. And I'd had this idea for a while of trying to put together a program for artists that focused more on finding a balance between art and business and building a foundation for staying in an inspired mindset and being more productive and efficient. Um, and a lot of the organizational things that, that creatives generally can have a bit of a uh, tough time with mm -hmm. and the business side of things like artists are always talking about like, man, I just, I, I don't, I'm not good with business. I just don't like the, you know, the business. And so I wanted to create something that, that could kind of switch that perspective a little bit and show people how, the business is just a support for us to be able to uh, be, be able to continue to create music for the rest of our lives. If there's no economy within it, then, um, you know, it's just a hobby. So for us to be able to make it, you know, make it a career that can sustain us and that we have the creative freedom to spend our time doing what we love, there has to be a revenue portion, you know, associated with that. Right. And I, uh, and so I, I saw over the 13 years of my time in the industry before I started this, this program, I had seen so many artists that had incredible talent, um, had really great, in some cases, like great opportunities to be able to advance and move forward. And there were certain things that would that would fall short. And, and some of them might have been just like organization or um, lack of like a clear goal setting or a focused intention on what they wanted to accomplish. Um, it can be, we can get like, and we should be incre incredibly focused on our art and the creativity of it. Um, but 
if you're an independent artist in the modern music industry, in order for your career to grow, at some point you have to have a you have to have some leverage to bring to the table. Uh, for, if you want to have a A&R person, a, a label, a manager um, take an interest, there has to be enough developed there that they see uh, the worth in the investment. Uh, and so I saw these incredibly talented people that were really on the verge of something, but they were kind of self-sabotaging in some ways and, and, and in other ways, accidentally just kind of missing out on opportunities by just not following through with things and you know that sort of stuff. So, um, so we set out to put together this, this program and our goal is to be able to help artists um, find a balance between art and business to really understand how the business side of things can really support their art and, spend, and focusing a, a little more on that and finding a balance between it can really help jumpstart things within a career. And then to also have a, a mindset um, portion uh, incorporated with it, which I think artists connect well with. But there's no one out there that's like, uh, uh, you know, you see all these motivational speakers or you see like these sales conferences and it's all really focused on like sales or uh, like career stuff that's outside of the music industry. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not very like creative focused and doesn't really feel good to a creative. You know, it kind of sounds like a car salesman, like just spitting a bunch of stuff. So you buy their whole catalog of, right. you know, of, uh, CDs and stuff. And, uh, and but. So we wanted to create something that would really be relatable to artists, but would take similar concepts, but apply it in a creative way, in a way that would, you know, would make sense. So that was our, our goal. And, uh, and so far it's gone, gone really well. Um, we have, we have a good core um, group of people that have gone through the program that have seen a lot of really great results. Um, all of the, the interns that I have there and apprentices that come through the studio and uh, my students, um, they, they all, that's part of, I give it to them as part of their um, time with me and, have them go through it, artists that I, new artists that I work with, um, and even some established artists that I work with that were trying to just find more center in their, in their focus, um, have had a lot of really great success with it. That's super cool. That sounds very interesting. Um, do you have any sort of exercises or anything like you'd want to share with Absolutely. our listeners? What could you yeah. offer? Yeah. And that's what's way more important than me explaining why we why we did it and what it is because that's well, what no, people I mean, should, should take. You're should take you're away very from. right though. Like, it is hard to figure out the business side while also trying to stay focused on the creative side, but it's absolutely so important. I agree. Now here's a great exercise. Um, you just said that it's really hard, and it and it is. And that word is totally cool. And this might be a little like out there, but I have chosen to not use the word hard as much as I can just like take it out of my vocabulary and use the word challenge because it adds a different perspective to a situation. When I say that something is a challenge, that's a challenge that can be overcome that I can find a solution for. If something is hard, it just like remains hard. That's the you know definition of it. I and it's, it's like, it's an example of like a really subtle thing that I started to do that um, completely like transformed my optimism about situations and the way I thought about things instead of just saying that it's hard and like, it just remains that way. You can't, you can't get past that. It just, that's how it exists. But if, but if you look at something as a challenge immediately, you're like, okay, cool. This is a challenge that I can defeat. I can overcome it and get past it. And wow. at least for me, it, it really um, gives me some motivation um, and puts my mind in a problem solving place, like immediately instead of like a desperation or a fight or flight, like response to something. That is very cool. I actually started doing something kind of similar um, on my to-do list that I write myself. I write, it's my get to-do list, things I get to do. And it doesn't, Absolutely. it tricks your mind into 
into making it not such a hassle. But that's very right. cool. A challenge. Yeah. Very cool. So um so you you brought up to-do lists. That's that's a really great um subject. What a portion of our of our program we take people through um what what was actually both my and Ricky's process um before and, and we had a lot of synergy when we started talking about like how we approach our, our business and our life in general and Ricky actually came up with this term um before I just called it my schedule but Ricky calls it a prosperity plan and I love that because a prosperity plan uh as, in our definition of it is a schedule with your goals attached so when I make my prosperity plan for the week which I do every Sunday it includes all of my work responsibilities and my life responsibilities. Um, but then I also add on specific action items that I can take to work towards the major goals that I have for the year, for the month, um, et cetera. So the way that we go through, the way that I go through creating that, um, I, uh, I'm constantly updating this, but I have a list of uh, five like major goals that, that I'm working towards. And then I have these smaller ones that I just sort of, ideas that pop into my head or things that I want to work on. Um, so I have the separate list that I, um, that I make. And um, then when I look at these larger goals that I have, um, and I started this really early on when I, when I couldn't get a job at a studio, actually, I never was able to get an internship in Nashville and my career started as a freelance person. So I, I was uh, advised by a really great mentor to, to make a set of goals that you can work towards to, to find a way to have small wins throughout the week that would help motivate you and propel you forward so you don't get burnt out by things. And so I've continued to do that throughout my career and, and uh, still do it now. So we have these major goals and then I look at each major goal and think about what are some steps that I could take to work towards that. Um, so let's say from uh, an artist perspective, um, I was doing this recently with an artist and she had uh, um, one of her major goals was to headline a national tour. I think that that's an awesome goal and totally attainable. Um, but there's a few steps to get there at first. Um, now she's been playing um, like local shows and a little bit of like regional stuff here and there. Uh, and so we looked at like, what are, what are the steps that we would need to take to be able to graduate into that, um, that level. Um, and so one of them was to, to be able to gain more uh, connections and with other artists that might be also looking for, you know, for that similar thing. Um, to to play more often locally uh and be able to connect with uh with more folks so um that was uh that was a smaller step that we could take within that and the other one was to expand upon like the regional touring so if we want to be able to route like a national tour we need to be able to hit these these different um regions so let's expand upon areas a little bit further away um from nashville maybe instead of just hitting like the southeast um let's try to start like moving up north and finding opportunities um, up there. And, uh, and so, um, the way, and so when we look at how to expand regionally and one way is to be able to connect with other artists in those regions that you might be able to share, share shows with or split shows with, for example. Um, and so the action thing that she puts on her calendar each week is to spend, you know, an hour on one day a week or however much time that she allots for it, um, to work on reaching out to, um, people in different regions, whether it's uh, booking agents or venues or other artists to be able to, you know, to, to expand that. Um, and then the, these little wins that she gets is when she does that week by week, eventually she starts getting messages back. They start conversations get happening and then you're moving towards um, those, uh, those specific goals. For me, 
as a, as a producer and engineer, uh, one of my goals, one of my fir- very first goals uh, when, I, when I moved to town was to be able to make a living by just producing and engineering. And so I looked at what my monthly expenses were on like a bare level. Uh, what is my rent, my utilities, and how much food, how little food can I eat in order to survive? And that was like, okay, cool. So I got this budget here. Now, what do I need to um, make each week in order to cover that? And then I broke it down to like, what do I need to make each day? So now I know what I need to make each day. How many hours each day do I need to have a billable session um, for me to be able to get to that um, stage? And so um, I'm starting to work towards that uh, that idea of being the really focused intention on that. And uh, what that started to do is that when um, when I first got started, you know, you get really excited about finally finding meeting an artist and like, yeah, I'd really love to work on a demo with you. So come in and record and then spend a lot of time focused on that. And uh, but then I wouldn't go out as much and, and network as much, or I'd take a day off and play some video games or go do something else that. Um, go party or something, you know, that wasn't as productive. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that was taken away from my ability to be able to keep working towards what my goals were when I didn't have them established. Once I established them, then I like, I, when I was going to make a decision to do something other than focus on my business, I could look at my goals and say, is this going to help me get closer towards that? And if it's not, and I'm just starting my career and I want this 5,000%, then I'm going to make the decision to to take an action that's going to help me move towards it so that's where the 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 goals really 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 help and uh and so over time you start to accomplish these little things you cross them off the list you're like i got that now what's the next mountain that i can climb and it it helped me stay in a really inspired spirit and stay focused on the potential for growth and um ask myself the question of how can i do something instead of uh why can't i do it um, which is another thing that some, you know, you might laugh at. It's like a you know, funny way of flipping words around, but it's a really great like way to put a perspective on something. When I, there were a lot of things that I didn't realize when I moved to, uh, to, the, to Nashville, I thought that I was this exemplary audio engineering student that was top of their class that had been pursuing this dream since they were 12 years old. And I was going to work harder than anybody else who wouldn't want to hire me, you know? <laughs> um, and I got turned down to work at Guitar Center. Oh my uh, gosh. Like that, I, couldn't, I could not get hired anywhere <laughs> with all the experience I had and the qualifications or, you know, whatever. Um, and uh, and, and it, it's just, you got to pay your dues and, and work and make it happen. So, um, and, and I could have had the perspective of like, well, this just isn't going to happen. But in my mind, I knew that this was for me and I had to figure out a way to do it. So my focus was just always on like, how, 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 what, what do I need to do? And as creatives, we're all problem solvers when we're writing songs, when we're trying to fit a lyric into a melody or find a melody that speaks to a certain emotion, or if we're uh, producers that are trying to chase down a sound uh, or a vibe or a certain feel that we're going for, we'll spend hours and hours and hours working on that. But then when we have to figure out how to pay our rent with our uh, with our talent, um, then all of a sudden we're like, well, it's just, I guess the industry just is different these days and, you know, it's just not going to happen, but, um, but we can, we can do it. And it's just a, a, a matter of changing our perspective a little bit. Uh, so that, um, that plan, building my prosperity plan throughout the week has been an incredible way of, of doing that. Once I have those goals um, figured out and then the, the action items that can help me work towards those goals, then I lay out my calendar. So I have working hours and my working hours are not just the hours that I'm booked on a session or have a meeting or something. My working hours are the hours during the day that I'm working on my career. 
And for me, those hours are from 8 a.m. to 8-ish p.m. Um, Monday through Friday at this point in my career. When I got started, it was, <laughs> I didn't have those hours. It was like <laughs> as, long as, as long as I could stay awake, you know, it was 16, 18 hours a day, yeah. just laser focused on, on stuff. But um, in a physician now where there's a little bit more space and it's important to have that, you know, that balance. But mm-hmm. uh, so now I've, I've kind of kind of found that it's different for everybody. Um, if you have a, you know, a part-time job, your hours might be a little bit different that you would, you know, uh, dependent upon what, you know, your responsibilities, but, um, I, uh, I set those hours and then I put down my responsibilities for the week. So I already know the sessions that I have scheduled. Those are blocked out on the calendar. Uh, I have any other like meetings or appointments or things. And then I take a look at all the time that's left. And then I go over to that list of those little action items that I have, and I fill in the rest of my schedule. And it gives me uh, a focus on priority, like what, what to focus on. Uh, I have an intention for each day. And each day, I know that there's something that I can accomplish that's going to help me move towards the future that I want for myself. And as I started to do that, it was really challenging because having that level of like of focused intention, like day in and day out with like basically every hour that you're awake um, can at points become a little overwhelming and sometimes a little at first could be a little uninspiring with the wrong perspective. But once I started to see the results from doing that consistently, once I found a good flow and found the right amount of time to, to stay focused. And, and once I learned to, to also schedule fun into my plan, uh, and not just be only focused on work, I started to be even more inspired through, through having this structure than when I felt like I was trying to be free by not having the structure. The structure inspired me because I could see all of the little growth that was happening day by day and week by week, month by month, and it starts to build up. Um, it's like compounding interest. You know, the, the more that you put into it, these things start to come back, and uh, and then it, over time, it just builds up, and, and then things just start rolling, and the the um, you, you build up this uh, the, the speed and momentum, and, uh, and it keeps going if you keep at it. At least it has for me. Uh, and so I've, com- I've committed to that. That's the, that's that process that I go through each week. And, um, and every Sunday I, I review that. Um, and then at the end of each day, when I get done, I review my plan that I've laid out for the next day that allows me to kind of like, um, pregame for what's going to happen the next day. That way I can go to sleep and rest. I know what's going to happen when I get up. Uh, I don't have to wake up anxious. Like, Oh, what was I supposed to do? And do I get this done? I sort of have a, I have a vision for how the next day is going to go. I visualize it and see what's going to happen. It also helps me like remember like little things that might be that you might forget, like remembering in my world, like remembering to set something up because I got a session like early in the, you know, the morning. So I know what's happening, have it all laid out. Um, And it helps me keep some, some organization in it. And when I don't have to be in a state of like urgency or, or, what am I supposed to do next to trying to figure it out? My mind is so much more open to creativity yeah. because I don't get bogged down in all those distractions. They're the, it's just um, straight ahead focused on, <clears throat> excuse me, on what I need to, uh, to accomplish. And the last po- portion of this that um, has been a huge thing for me is developing a morning ritual. So before my work hours start, I have uh, a morning ritual. Mine has grown to be pretty extensive over the, the last few years, but it used to like start pretty small. Um, I spend about two hours in the morning focused on myself. 
Um, I wake up at, at 6 a.m. I have a light breakfast. I work out uh, for about an hour and a half. Uh, I read um, and meditate, and then I get in the studio and um, head to the studio and go to work. That allows me to get my body, my mind, and my spirit in the right place to be able to take on any of the nonsense that happens throughout the day. And it gives me time with myself and just to be focused. And it's amazing. Um, like the other day, I had a writing session with an artist, and we had this concept that uh, we had come up with a few weeks before. We had the right book. And um, the night before, I was like, I'm still stuck. I don't know how, I don't know what I'm, I didn't, I didn't have enough planned as I wanted for how we were going to execute this song. That morning, I went out and did my run around the lake and, and was on my way back. And the whole song like popped into my head. I stopped and was typing it and like sweating on my phone and the phone keyboard wouldn't work. Was, and uh, but I, so I came in and at 10 o'clock, I was like, I got the song and I, I played it for him. And they were like, cool, it's done. And uh, it, it was insane. But it's just for me, it's just opened up my mind so much to just allow whatever I'm looking for to, to come in without the distractions of the uh, the sort of like uh, the, the fight or flight kind of response that most of us, uh, you know, wake up to. So um, for someone that's just starting with this, obviously, like not everybody has two hours, feels like they can dedicate two hours to, you know, to something like that in the morning. It can literally be five minutes. The, the size of it is not as important as the consistency of it and just putting your mind in, in that place. Um, for writers a lot, I suggest like just, um, and as a writer, you may have experimented with this before, just like the first thing you wake up, just grab a piece of paper and a pen and just start writing whatever comes to mind. Um, a, a really prolific songwriter told me that he does that every day. And uh, there was a huge song that we did that um, that was written that, that that way, that just came out of that sort of wake up, grab your guitar and whatever happens and, um, you know, comes together. So I suggest that to uh, to a lot of artists. Um, some people like meditation, some people like uh, uh, yoga or something. I like crazy intense exercise. So I get out and like, like sprint like crazy and then uh, lift heavy weights and just like get, try to uh, just kill my body <laughs> and, oh my gosh. Uh, and have, a, have a blast, you know, but then I settle down with a really focused intention for the day. Um, I read something that's typically um, like uh, mindset oriented or like philosophical um, or just something that kind of puts my, my mind in the right place and opens it up to you know, creative thinking and stuff. Um, and then do some meditation and then, uh, and then dive into the day. The most important part in my mind of going through this process, uh, regardless of how much time you spend on it, is not looking at any technology until you're done with it. Because what happens when we wake up, we grab our phone. Mm -hmm. We look at it. We see all the text messages. We start checking our email. We look at Instagram. We're like, why am I not in that awesome place? And, uh, and what, I wish that I had that bag or that car, or, you know, or whatever. And, um, and we get focused on all these distractions and we immediately like flood ourselves with, um, with anxiety. And then our, our bodies are putting out chemicals that, that we don't want to wake up with, you know? Uh, and, uh, so I think that ignore, just completely like disregarding technology until, um, you get through that and you're really prepared for the day, at least for me has made a massive difference on like my ability to take on adversity, my mindset and my effectiveness um, throughout, throughout the day. Um, so that's our, our plan for, uh, for prosperity. And if anyone that's listening would want a more simplified uh, or like the worksheet that we have for it, I will email it to them. If you want to put my info in your notes or whatever, awesome. um, yeah. I would be more than happy to share it. 
yeah. it's made it an uh, amazing impact on my life and uh, a process that's really helpful for a lot of the creatives that I work with also. Well, I would love for you to send that to me, by the way, but I will definitely put that um, down in the show notes for sure. Cool. Yeah, you got it. Awesome. Well, that is very inspiring. I'm just like thinking about our morning routine side by side, like <laughs> you're outside, like sprinting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in my PJ saloon. Um, but yeah, very something something to think about for sure. Um so I did want to ask you, are you still involved with um Balcony TV? Um I'm not anymore. You're not anymore. Okay. Uh, but yeah, but the show itself is a, a pretty good like it was a really good lesson for me on um a little bit of like networking and building connections, but also on like how an investment of your time of service that isn't necessarily a direct like monetary return can really be incredibly rewarding uh, in the long run. Okay. So if there's someone that's like building a business or an artist that's trying to um, build a reputation in their community or connections, that sort of thing, that this, this idea and the story of that um, was incredibly beneficial for me. When I took a lease out on my first like legit studio, because the, the first little place that I had was just this apartment that I had set up on, on music row um when i when i uh moved into this the, my my uh stage two of my of the record shop um i uh i want to figure out a way to be able to get people introduced to the facility and get people over to hang and so i wanted to throw like a studio party oh, that'd be fun um but i also at the around that same time was seeing that um and this was 12 years ago so youtube was just starting to um get a reputation for sort of breaking artists that were like unknown artists that would sit with the guitar and play a song on youtube and upload this video and then all of a sudden they have a million people watching them mm -hmm. and so there were all these uh articles that were coming out about you know the music the youtube being this new medium for people to discover new music uh and i thought that's really awesome how could i create something that would allow us to promote what the record shop and um and me to connect with new artists that could be maybe youtube focused in that way and, uh, and what I learned about Nashville in that, in that short time that I've been there was that it was so much more than country music and Christian music. There were incredible hip-hop artists and rock bands um, and, uh, um, and singer-songwriters and people and metal, metal bands and like just this all, all, all different ranges and styles of music. Um, and also international music, like South African artists and, um, and uh, Spanish artists and uh, just a really great eclectic music scene that was far beyond what the media at that time was showing Nashville to be. I think people see Nashville now as being more diverse, but um, when I moved here, there wasn't as much of that really shown like outside of that. So I, um, I thought, well, what if we put together this uh, monthly event where I would invite uh, multiple artists, all from different genres together, and each of them would play a song everybody be able to hang out and meet each other and i would interview them they play a song and then we'd uh we'd make a, episodes of each uh, performance and then put them up on on youtube and uh so we started doing that it was it was a lot of fun um, we got a bunch of people come and hang out at the studio we helped people make new you know new connections and um and we were having a blast doing it but there weren't a lot of people watching it and uh so i got pretty bummed out and i'm like i'm not a uh, at that time had no knowledge of like internet marketing and um seo and and uh and social media marketing and that sort of thing and uh and so um i and i and i didn't necessarily want to do do that you know i just wanted to produce records and i thought this would be a cool way to be introduced to new artists and stuff so um 
I started, I started thinking, well, maybe there's other people that are trying to do something similar. So I did some research and I found that there was uh, this guy named Stephen uh, from uh, Dublin, Ireland, that had started a uh, uh, online show called Balcony TV. And he was doing it from a hotel balcony in downtown Dublin. And he fairly unknown at the time called The Script that had played an acoustic set on this balcony. They uploaded it online and it went viral. And uh, they did what I thought I was going to do with, <laughs> with what I was creating in the studio. And, uh, and I was like, well, this is awesome. And I started looking at it, and they had, I think it was like three other locations at that point. So it had, it had expanded a little bit. I think it had only been in existence for about a year and a half or something when I, when I discovered it. And there was, um, there was one in London and then one in Germany, I think. And uh, so I just sent him an email. and was like, hey, man, I'm Gio from Nashville. I run a studio down here and I'm doing something really similar to what you guys are doing. Um, and I'm having an incredible hard time marketing it. I was just curious if you'd be willing to give me any tips or, you know, advice or anything. And um, he emailed me back and, and just kind of told me the story and kind of how it all came together um, and how just they had a friend of a friend that was in this band and they just made the video and put it online. You know, I was like, damn, there's no secret. Uh, and, uh, but then we started talking more. And, uh, and, and they, they wanted to branch out to the U.S. And they, they hadn't had anyone yet that they had met to, to help them do that. And I was like, well, I would be down to be a franchise, I guess, of, you know, Balcony TV, be a part of your team. And we could create Balcony TV Nashville, bring the show to the U.S. We have a great, like, diverse range of artists that we can bring on. And uh, they were really into the idea. So I went out and found a location and uh, – called some of my friends that like the videographer that was helping me with um with the uh, record shop sessions that we were doing at the studio uh and my friend greg who uh, uh worked worked at guitar center um who helped out with some equipment and uh the three of us got together and we turned this thing into a show and uh when we, when we started we were filming we were releasing one video every day so we felt fil we filmed once a week we filmed uh 10 artists to be safe each week and then we had to turn all the videos around uh, right away and audio and, and videos and then get them online and that was the whole concept of balcony tv that every day from this different city you would see this new music so um about i don't know seven years later uh, i think we were at the point where we had about 60 cities around the world um hundreds of millions of viewers and turned into this really great awesome you know viral thing and uh and the show uh was sold to the orchard which was then purchased by Sony, who then uh, decided without any explanation that they were just going to shut the show down. And we had gotten rid of our, you know, they had sold the show, so we had no rights to anything at that point. We were just um, contracts producers of the show. Oh, no. So that was really unfortunate. And, uh, and there was never any explanation about why they did that. Uh, I tried to contact people there just to find out, like, hey, like, I spent a decade working on this show, and um, they took just got rid of all of it so it's really unfortunate but what i learned about doing that uh going through that process was that um i could look for like an opportunity or anyone could look for an opportunity to serve their community in a way that would help empower the people around them it could be their clients it could be their peers and create something that as a group we could push together turn into something bigger and incredible opportunities could come out of that through doing that show, I was I started going to the NAM conference uh, to promote to try to find sponsors. That's why I started attending there to look at pro audio companies that might want to sponsor our show. And um, 
I had a couple small things that, you know, that worked out, but what really came out of that was these awesome relationships with reps from different companies that then became partners over the years. So then there were, there was, uh, there were companies that ended up hiring us to do video production for them, uh, to record live concerts that they were sponsoring. Um, there was, uh, one of those, um, companies that introduced me to someone at the recording Academy that brought me out to do a whole series of stuff at the Grammy awards. And uh, the, all the, these kind of things that didn't necessarily come from like a, a monetary, like sales sort of thing, but just of being of service to others, mm-hmm. just looking for something to create something unique and, uh, and to give, give people a platform or a voice or a way to be able to share, you know, share what they do. And, uh, and through that, I got all these incredible things that came back to me. Uh, then the other great thing out of it was that um, I did want to I did want to use the the content that we were creating to promote the brand that we had. And my idea was that the record shop would be a creative community that could help support artists' artistic vision in creating timeless art, and we could do that through multimedia content creation. So not just me producing records, but us helping with videos and photos and building out branding stuff. And uh, so we wanted to be able to share that with artists, but. Um, I didn't have any like understanding of how much that would um, lead to meeting like new artists that I wasn't necessarily just reaching out to to get on the show. Once the show became really popular, now like we didn't even need to find people to book it. We were getting dozens of emails every week from PR companies and managers and that wanted to get their artists on the show. Uh, and then it was I got to meet these meet these folks that I wouldn't have necessarily met otherwise. And then they learned that I owned a studio that I was a producer and. Um, and over time, I had so many projects that came out of those relationships from artists that uh, from artists all over the world um, that were crazy that I, that I wouldn't have met otherwise. Um, and uh, and so there wasn't there wasn't a um, necessarily a direct like monetary or revenue stream that was intended to come out of that other than just being of service. And how much it brought back to us um, was was just incredible. So I think that part of the balcony TV story, how it ended sucks, but the, that part of the story was, um, was, was, uh, is incredibly powerful. And, um, and I think something that I would, I would, um, uh, tell people to, to go after, try to find a skill set that you have and something that you enjoy doing, uh, first. And then how can, how can you find a way to serve your community in a way that will put you in some sort of leadership role or value add, uh, kind of role to the, to the people around you? And, and, you know, create something special and don't worry about what you're getting right now. Understand that what you put out into the world is going to come back to you. I always thought that those sort of like phrases were kind of crazy and hokey and gypsy-ish and stuff, but oh my God, have I experienced it over and over and over again. And I'm a firm believer. That's amazing. Well, I, that's, I'm glad to finally know the story of Balcony TV because um, I actually have recorded a couple episodes I don't know if I met you. I know I have emailed you. Um, wow, that's awesome. But yeah, so that's pretty cool. Um, but it's good to know the story of that. I do want to ask you one last question. Um, I know everything's kind of crazy right now in the music industry. What What are your thoughts on the future of the music industry with COVID and how things are going right now? It's incredibly challenging. Yeah. And... Uh, I think I don't I don't mean to sound like insensitive in saying this, but I've my like firm belief is like the future is what you decide it's gonna be. When I moved to Nashville, I moved here for a job at a major studio and I showed up for work the first day and they're like, uh yeah, that job isn't happening now. And I had a lease on a place and 
I'd already interviewed at every other studio in town. I spent the next few months like banging down every door, begging people to like clean their toilet just to let me sit in on a session. And uh, and not to be as like a sob story or anything, but like it just it, it didn't didn't happen. And I had this thought like, well, maybe it's just different now. Like maybe you just you have to you can't work your way up the ladder like you used to. And you maybe maybe I needed to go to one of those big like universities that had a relationship with the studio that I could get a direct internship at. Or maybe I need connections that just I don't have because my family's not in the music business. And uh, you tell you all, all of these things about like why you, why something you know can't happen just because of the situation around there. But fortunately, I had enough. I don't know drive, and I had people around me that, that kept saying, you know, there's you you got the you got something. Just keep going after it, you know. That uh, that I continued on and found out over time that. If you just decide and go after it, the only way that you can fail at something is if you quit. Outside of that, like you're still on the journey every you know, every step of the way. So I think that the future is just what people decide it's gonna be. If people want to look at the way that things have changed and say, Well, everything's screwed now because we can't do this and we can't do that and we can't do this, rather than saying, What can we do? How can we get creative about using the resources that we do have and what we can still do? to be able to make things happen. Uh, I think that, that that's the way we're going to be able to uh, come out of it. And I think there's a lot of people that are doing that and uh, in creating, you know, re really unique experiences around um, virtual, you know, live events, which is incredibly challenging to do that without an audience. Uh, earlier today, I had to do a, uh, a pre-taped web webinar of a uh, speaking engagement that I would have normally done at the NAMM show in front of a room full of people. And even just that, like just talking was like, didn't have the same feeling at all. I mean, I couldn't imagine being an artist that's used to playing in stadiums and now they're staring at, you know, this t teleprompter with no one around them and they're supposed to have the same type of energy. But how, I mean, but how bad do you want it? Do you want to connect with your fans and find a way to, you know, to go, go after it? That's my thought is that like, I just, I just refuse to believe that there's anything that will stop me. And I, that might be a crazy, you know, uh, um, overly optimistic way of like of looking at things but i'll find a way when the whole like uh pandemic thing started and nashville got shut down uh and our studio had to close um uh, the idea at first was that it was going to be like two weeks or something that we'd be that we'd have to you know shut down so at first i was like well man this is cool i kind of like get a vacation you know that i that i never get in the middle of the year uh this is awesome i'm gonna i'm, I'm gonna repair some equipment i'm gonna take care of some stuff i got a subscription to Masterclass and I. I watched like Penn and Teller and Steve Martin and um, that there's like really cool. Like, you know, I wanted to like learn about comedy and magic and just like stuff that, you know, you don't, I, I don't normally have, you know, time to do. I was like, this is awesome. Right. That lasted about like four days. And then I was like, okay, um, this is a lot of fun, but I got to figure out, you know, um, a, uh, you know, some, some solutions here. And, uh, and I wasn't like as concerned because it was like, okay, a couple weeks, things will settle down and then we'll just go back to normal. But then every day, some other report came out and something else came and it just got really terrifying. And I was honestly like a little bit panicked. Like how is the recording studio going to survive when we can't record people in the studio? Which uh, I immediately was like, dude, that's a pretty dumb, dumb thought because we have a lot of technology that allows you to use your equipment and record people wherever they are in the world. So I started diving into all that technology. I called a few of the artists that we were in the middle of working on projects with that we had to stop. Um, and, uh, there were a few projects that like just needed vocals done. 
Um, and I said, Hey, uh, so what do you think about me putting together like a mobile system that like I'll have, I'll drop off at your door. Um, and you can leave it out there, you can sanitize it, you know, before we knew about like the weather surface stuff made a difference or not. And, uh, we'll, we'll leave it out there. I'll give you, we'll put, I'll put the same mic that you would use in the studio. Um, I'll have it all connected. So all you got to do is like turn the power on and plug the mic in and then I can access the computer remotely. We'll watch each other on zoom. So we can kind of like, be, you know, be there. And then um, I'll run the session from my studio while you're at your studio. And so I did that with that handful of artists and it turned into this like new business model. Um, like our, we, our studios couldn't be open. They couldn't go anywhere. Everybody's stuck creating writing. Um, and a lot of people, um, a lot of people have access to like record themselves, but not at the level that you would need to release a commercial product. So I, I had the, you know, the, the mobile uh, re recording rig that was no contact, you know, drop it off at your door and, um, and be able to have a really high end, you know, studio equipment in, in your own space. And uh, now obviously we couldn't like record a band that way necessarily at the same level that we could in the studio, but cutting vocals and that sort of thing we could absolutely do. So, uh, so we started doing that. And then once we, um, once things, once we were able to open our doors again and allow clients in, even though it was pretty limited um, and you know, a lot of restrictions and stuff um, right before that, I started thinking about this live streaming thing. So everybody's talking about how are we going to like go virtual and all the companies are, are virtual and they're having all their meetings that way. It looks like all the conferences and all the events that were planned, those are all going to be, you know, virtual now. And I was like, well, I got this, this big old uh, building and uh, really great audio equipment. If I get some cameras and a video switcher, like a broadcast board and, um, and figure out how to stream stuff, um, maybe we could um, stream events for people. And at first it was just really to serve our clients. Um, so we set up another like no contact idea where I plugged in all the equipment and then I was in a different room in the building and could, they could walk in, everything's already set up. They just had to plug their instrument in and step in front of the mic and I could control it all and see it all from um, the cameras that we had set up. And uh, so we did for, um, for weeks, did these, um, these virtual events where it was just the artist by themselves in the, in the studio and I was running it from, uh, from somewhere else. Uh, and that was a lot of fun. And, and then I was like, we need to step our game up. So we, I worked with the AV company and we invested in a, a pretty robust live streaming system with a bunch of really high end cameras and a broadcast board. And I found a guy that knows how to work all that stuff. And, uh, and his name is Amaliko. He's been an incredible asset to our team over the past few months. And he's been coming in and, uh, and running the show for these live stream events. Um, and, uh, and once the kind of word got out around our uh, community, um, people were just flocking to, to do it. And, um, it, it, it helped us create this, this whole new, um, a, a asset, you know, within our, our business and offering way that we could, uh, we could serve artists. Um, and then recently it, it started to expand into corporate stuff. So now there's people, there's companies, uh, you know, large companies that will do like a virtual happy hour and they want a band to play. So we bring the band in and, um, and, uh, live stream them playing. They can interact with the, you know, the folks and stuff. And, um, it's been, uh, been amazing. Um, and that company is called song division. Um, that one of my buddies, Benji works with, and, um, he's, uh, he's been incredible at, at connecting us, um, with this stuff. So they have a really incredible business model that before they were traveling around and doing these really great, um, retreats and, uh, team building exercises all surrounded around music with large corporations. Um, now they can't travel around and do that. So they went totally virtual and their business is booming. So they're the, you know, you look at all these things that are happening negatively in the business and like, yeah, like if I owned Live Nation, 
man, I mean, I'm, I'm feel horrible for the people that, you know, that, that work there and um, that are furloughed and stuff. And like, there's, it's tough to get, obviously to get out of that, but that doesn't mean that there's not a solution or that there's not opportunity. And for, for us, we've been able to find some to, to the point where we're not in any sense of con- concern about survival anymore. Uh, and where if, if anything, we're like flourishing and, and continuing to grow as a company uh, instead of declining. And that's because I refuse to do otherwise with, without sounding conceited at all, but just, I have a passion for helping artists achieve their vision and for, for me to be able to support them and help them accomplish what they want. Cause that's what I get the greatest fulfillment out of. So I'm not going to let any situation allow, keep us away from being able to do that for artists. Cause that's what ful- fulfills me. Well, thank you for sharing um, your experience and your perspective on that. Um, it's very inspiring. Absolutely. So for everyone listening, be sure to check out the record shop on Facebook and Instagram. I am going to leave Giovanni's contact info down below if you want to reach out to get some more information on Mind Map or the studio. Just send him an email. Thanks for listening to the Groove Lab podcast. Stay groovy. Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode i need to give a huge thank you to the people who have signed up to support the podcast with a monthly donation um i just hope you know how much it means to me i am working on getting a website set up and i'm going to be ordering some merch and the people who are supporting the podcast are going to be the first people to get that y'all are the best and i just i appreciate you so much I'll see you guys back here next week for a new episode. Stay groovy.